Praise the Lord for everyone. Applause. Uh, what a privilege that we have to be able to sing together the praises of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, for those of you who have been with us for a while now, we uh, we went through I don't I, I can't remember how many weeks we went through many weeks of an emphasis on prayer and asking God to really begin to teach us uh, how to pray and um, the, the power and the purposes of prayer in, in such a time as this when there is so much uncertainty. And if there's one thing I learned through that entire season of prayer is that after all of that is said and done, uh, we need to pray even more. <laughs> So, like, we got through all this season of prayer, and, I, and that's the way that God would work, right? It's like, okay, you kind of had this season of prayer leading up to uh, November 3rd, which we, we had a wonderful uh, group of people that gathered up here on uh, election night, and just, just some of us were fasting and praying, and we just gathered up here to have a, a prayer meeting, and it was just a sweet time of fellowship and worship. And, um, and we wake up, you know, November 4th, and the sun still came up, right? Amen. And Jesus is still on his throne, and so... Uh, but now we understand that uh, don't take your foot up off the pedal. So this is an opportunity for us to even go deeper and to press in harder when it comes to our prayer life. And so uh, I didn't really know where the Lord was going to lead me, but uh, I'm very thankful and very um, confident this morning that he has a message for you because he had a message for me this week as I started to prepare. And so if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And so if you're looking at your Bible, you would have Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, and there is one of Paul's letters to the church in Thessalonica. And we're just going to skip to the end of the chapter because I think there's something very, very practical that God has prepared for you and for me this morning. One of those primary struggles that I think I have and I think all of us can identify with as believers here and followers of Jesus Christ and we're living in this fallen world, this sin-cursed world, is that we are facing ever-changing circumstances in life. We're, we're facing the uncertainty of tomorrow. We're, we're facing unexpected situations. We're facing constant Changes that are beyond and outside of our control. This is what I call the certainty of uncertainty. It has been said that they're the only true constant in life is change itself. Or there was once an author named Louis Lillemore. Many of you may know him. He put it this way. The only thing that never changes is that everything changes. And, and that's, that's such a reality. And, you know, some of the changes that we face in life are what I call superficial changes. Some of them are subtle, like waking up and looking at yourself in the mirror and finding out you got a few more wrinkles than you did last time or a few more gray hairs. You know, I'm, I'm, gray, I'm graying now, so that's a change, a superficial change. Or, or maybe the weather, you know, the weather changes. You know, we thought we were kind of moving into a nice cool fall, and now it's summer again. You know, that's the way it works in, in uh, I say Mississippi, in Tennessee, down here in the south. It's like your menu at your favorite restaurant. You show up and the menu's changed. Oh, man, this is, you know, this is a frustration. Some, some changes are irritating. You know, the neighbor got a new dog and it won't shut up barking at night and keeps me up. 
Maybe you, 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 the, the squeaky belt in your car. You know, I mean, you know, th- there's so many different things that are, are con- constantly changing. You know, this whole COVID-19 thing, guys, has been, I know, very frustrating because from one day to the next, it just seems like things, you're watching the news. What are we supposed to do? What's the protocol? What's the new protocol? What's the old protocol? I don't think anybody really knows what's going on. I mean, sometimes we're like, we're, what, what, what are we supposed to do? Everything constantly what? It's changing, right? And so, like, we've learned that 2020 is just a, a, has been a year of change, but there are more significant changes in our life that, that are not just irritating, they're not just superficial. I think about things like losing your job. It's a big change. Getting a divorce. Uh, my wife and I are learning a little bit about this. Becoming an empty nester. Got any empty nesters out there? I, I, y'all keep telling me, like, it's great. Like, we're, we're trying to figure this thing out, right? Like, how do you, you, know, you, you still parent adult kids that are still kind of halfway in your house? But I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a lot, right? It's a change. It's different. Something's always changing. How about losing a parent or a loved one or, or maybe, like, you know, the, ele- the election results or something? I, I don't know. These, these things are just constantly flipping themselves on, them, on, on its head, and we don't really know what to expect one day to another. And some things are much more significant than others. But the, the thing is that we live in a world that is constantly changing, and I think we all understand and agree with that. But here's the good news. The good news is that the only constant in this life is that we know and we love and we serve a God who never changes. Now, I know we say that, but let's really think about that for just a second. It it, it is part of one of God's characteristics and qualities. It's called He is immutable. God never changes. And and there's some just some significant implications if we think about and we carry that on to its conclusion. The, The book of Hebrews says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God is, he is our immovable rock. He is our refuge and our ever-present help in times of change and times of trouble. That means if God never changes, it means he's forever faithful. It means he will never break his promises to his people. It means that we can trust him and his nature and his character and his word. It means that we can lean on him and wait upon him. When everything else in our life is falling apart, when everything else seems to be maybe spiraling out of control, or everything in our life is changing constantly around us, God never changes. And I think we need to be reminded of that this morning. Very, very, very important. But the flip side to that is, is that we as God's people and God's children and followers of Jesus Christ, we on the other hand should be constantly what? Changing. I want you to think about that. And that's what this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is going to give us some real practical steps to what I call sanctification. And and you've heard me talk about sanctification today. And it's important that we know these words. It's important we know these theological concepts because we need to know the different stages and the different phases of salvation. What do you mean the different phases of, of salvation? I thought salvation was just like you're saved and that's it. That's not the way the Bible presents salvation. You see, the Bible talks about Justification, okay, that you're justified by faith. It means that you're you're in a position of right standing with God, that when we believe in Jesus Christ, it's talking about where we stand 
in our position, our legal status before God. We're no longer guilty before God. We've been justified by Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus gives us his righteousness. He takes our sin upon him on the cross, and we are justified. That is a once-in-a-lifetime occurrence. It happens immediately upon belief in Jesus Christ. It has happened in the past. It's settled. It can never change. We're justified. We need to know that. That sets me free because I know at this point I've been justified. There's nothing I can do to lose my right standing with God. Now, I can break fellowship with God. I can hurt his feelings. I can break his heart. But I'm always going to remain justified. You see, the other thing that happens upon salvation is that we're regenerated. That means that we are spiritually born again. We become a new creation in Christ. That's the moment we trust in Jesus. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. His Spirit is united with our spirit. We become one with Christ. That means we're regenerated. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. This is essential. We must be regenerated. But that's something that happens immediately upon salvation. When you put your faith in Jesus, it's settled. You can never be unborn. Right? Isn't that what Jesus said? How, how does a man go back into his mother's womb to be born again? Jesus said, no, you, you got it all wrong. You don't understand what I'm saying. you got to be born from above. you got to be spiritually reborn. And once you're spiritually reborn, you can't be what? Unborn, right? That's, that's regeneration. Now, when Jesus comes back, when he returns, we're going to get new bodies at the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the righteous We're going to get resurrected bodies, fully immortal bodies. And this is the final stage of redemption that's going to happen yet in the future. It hasn't happened yet. That's called glorification. Thank God for glorification. Amen. Hallelujah. It is a promise of God that we're all waiting for. But it doesn't happen until Jesus, what? Until he returns. Now, everything in between regeneration and glorification is what we call what? sanctification. So it's important. So these are two bookends. You're you're regenerated. You're justified by faith. You will be glorified when Jesus Christ returns. Everything in between is what we're going through right now. It's our sanctification. You say, well, what is sanctification? Sanctification is the process of a lifelong journey of walking with Jesus where we are constantly being conformed and transformed into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Which means that we should always be what? Changing. I'll never forget, my wife and I have, uh, we've been through some, some marital counseling. I think every, every marriage probably needs or should go through some type of, of marital counseling. Things come up right. No such thing as a perfect marriage. And I'll never forget, sitting down with the counselor one day, and boy, I was just prideful, and I just I was proving my point, and I just wanted to make sure that I was right, you know? And I looked at that counselor, and I said, look, my wife married me. She knew who she was marrying. This is who I am, and I'm not going to change. This is who I am. It's Popeye, right? I am who I am. All you young kids out there don't even have a clue what I'm talking about, do you? And thank God for this counselor. He looked me in my face. He said, are you a Christian? Yes, sir. You believe in Jesus Christ? You're you're a follower of Jesus? Yes, sir. He said, if you're not changing, something's wrong. 
if you're the same man that your wife married, we were 19, you're the same man that your wife married when you were 19 years old that you are today, then something's wrong because that means you're not what? Growing in Christ. And I was like, whoa. Maybe I'm not supposed to be the same man that I am right now. A day from now, a week from now, a year from now. Maybe I'm supposed to be what? Changing. And guys, that's what sanctification is really all about. Is that we, if we're not growing and maturing and changing and being transformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ, something is very, very wrong. And so what happens in sanctification, this is a huge deal because, again, it includes everything that we go through from the beginning of our relationship with Jesus until we go home to be with him or he comes and, and, and resurrects us from the grave. But it says this, sanctification is when we learn to identify with Christ, we learn to become dependent upon Jesus Christ, typically through suffering, because we're going to see in a minute, the church in Thessalonica was enduring tremendous amounts of suffering and persecution for the sake of Jesus, that we're being made fit for the kingdom of God. You see, we're not ready for the kingdom. See, see it, those who are, uh, do not have immortal bodies are not fit for the kingdom of God. We've got to receive our immortal bodies. We've got to be resurrected and, and, and receive these immortal bodies to inherit the kingdom of God. But also, God is in the process of changing our what? Our minds. And we need to have our minds changed daily. See, this is, therefore, this is our reasonable act of service. And in view of these things, Paul says that we are no longer to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but we're to be what? Transformed by the renewing of our mind. You see, that's what sanctification is all about. I think about it this way. It's kind of like God is downloading the mind of Christ into our mind. Now, some of us, that download time takes a little bit longer than others. Some of us, you look up and somebody grows really, really fast and they're growing in the Lord and we see the fruit of their life and it's like that fast high-speed internet download. Some of us are still on like the old telephone line where it's just like taking its time and it's it's drudging through, but it's getting there, you know, but it just takes a little what? A little bit longer. But see, all of us are moving at different speeds and we're moving at different rates. But, but, the, the, but the big thing is, is are, we, are we growing? Are we changing? Are we the, a different person, more like Jesus today than we were what? Yesterday. That's all that I'm talking about when I talk about sanctification. And so as everything else is changing around us, we as God's children should be changing within. Okay, so let's look at this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, because I think you're going to see some very practical things. And we're not going to get through this whole thing today, but I'm going to read it in its entirety and then share with you a couple of simple steps, just some really simple steps that should be getting us on that path to sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 5, let's pick up in verse 12 this morning. It says, We ask you, brothers... To respect those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord and and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, 
Pray without ceasing. And give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And now the mountain, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. There's the word. Sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. And I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Three simple steps that I want to encourage you with today. Because again, regardless of what happened November 3rd, and I guess there's still, again, some uncertainty. Even though we're hearing otherwise, there there is still some uncertainty about this whole presidential election and all this stuff. And again, that's for God to, 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 to deal with. I, I'm, fine. I'm just ready to what? Move on. Either way, let's move on. Because it doesn't change our responsibility and it doesn't change what we do and who we are as God's children. And as we wander and sojourn in this life, in this world that is not our home. However, we're in the world, not of the world. And so this is our role and our responsibility. So let me give you a couple of very practical steps that I hope will be helpful for you to get us on that path of sanctification. Number one, in order to be sanctified, you got to get connected and stay committed to your Christian community. Now, I am preaching to the choir because you're here this morning. But some of you may have not been here in quite some time. Maybe some of you are listening out on our live stream, Facebook, YouTube, whatever it may be. And maybe you're sitting back thinking, you know what? I really miss my church family. You know, it's just not quite the same for me to listen to this at home because I'm, I'm still a little bit isolated and a little bit separated from that Christian community, the relationships that we get when we're here together in the flesh. We're face to face and hand in hand and eye to eye. And we're here, you know, taking on these things together as a Christian community, as a local church. And so whatever it is or wherever you are, I want to thank you for being here. But some of you may need to get a little bit more committed to your role and responsibility in your Christian community. No man is an island. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. I think the Lone Ranger did at least have Tonto, his friend, right? He at least had a friend, but I mean, he was out there on his own. Guys, look, that's, that's, not, the, that's not the example of a Christian life. We were created for community. We were saved to, to live out our faith in the context of relationship among the local church, among our brothers and sisters, our church family. That's why we call it a what? A family. And it truly is, and it should be a family. And I'm so thankful that you guys are part of my family, and I'm part of your family, and we have a love for each other, and it's such a blessing to be part of a Christian community. So we are called to get connected, and we're called to stay committed. It is a commitment. You know, this generation, uh, beyond, I think, even generations in the past, they really struggle with commitment because they're afraid that there's going to be something, what, 
better that comes along. So it's, let me, I don't want to make a commitment. That sounds pretty good, but I don't really want to jump in and get committed because I'm afraid I might miss something better that comes along. Well, last time I checked, guys, I don't think there's really much better than us living in Christian community with one another. To me, this is the, one of the greatest blessings that God gave us, aside from our, our wives and our husbands, our children, our immediate family. Our church family is one of the greatest blessings that God ever gave us. And so whether it's here or somewhere else, we need to get connected and we need to stay what? Committed to that. Now, if you think about it, think of all the things as a Christian that you cannot do apart from being in relationship to other brothers and sisters, other believers. Think about this. All right, These are things that you cannot do if you're isolated from your Christian community. You cannot use and exercise your spiritual gifts because spiritual gifts were given to us to be used in the context of the what? Local church. You can't pray with one another. Uh, you, you can text and call, and, and we should. But there's nothing quite like getting with your friend, your brother and sister, and what? Praying together. Where two or three are what? Gathered. In my name, Jesus says, there I am in the midst of them. You know, you can't serve each other when you're all alone. We're created for service. We cannot bear one another's burdens apart from a church family, a Christian community. How do we bear each other's burdens if we're not in relationship with each other? We can't encourage each other. It's very difficult to encourage one another when we're outside of the Christian community. We can't disciple each other. Discipleship takes place when we're integrated in in concert with each other and living in relationship with each other. We we can't hold each other accountable. It's hard to sharpen each other. It says uh, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's part of being in relationship to a local church and Christian community. We can't comfort each other effectively apart from the local church and our community and our church family. We don't worship and praise God together. What a beautiful gift that we just all got to take part in as we sang praises to God together. It's not the same when you're all alone. We don't study the word of God together and and, and we're able to grow in the word of God together. You can't forgive one another outside of the Christian community. Well, you can't hurt each other either. But that just comes with the territory, right? We're, we're human. We're going to disappoint each other. We're going we're to sin against each other. We're going to hurt one another. It's just a matter of time. It's inevitable. I'll probably hurt your feelings somewhere along the way. Please forgive me ahead of time. But we have an opportunity to truly... Because, listen, that's what Jesus Christ taught us. He said... That's the Lord's Prayer, right? Forgive us of our sins as we what? Forgive those who have sinned against us. How do we do that outside of a Christian community? And finally, we can't help each other. And so these are just a few examples of how important it is for us to be connected and stay committed. And listen, that's part, because all those things that I just shared with you, guess what those are? Those are examples of our sanctification. When we grow and encourage and bear each other's burdens and learn to forgive and we use our spiritual gifts and we worship the Lord Jesus and we disciple each other and we grow in the Word of God, that's what we are called to do in order to take this process of sanctification further along. So if we're not committed and connected to a local church family, we're probably not being sanctified. And that's what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is talking about. Number two, step number two. 
Love and respect your leaders. Now, I don't really have to preach on this because I feel a lot of love from you. I know Brother John and Chris and Randy and our elders, we feel love. And we feel respect from our local church family. But you know what? I, that's, not, that's not the case in every single church. And, and this goes both ways. Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love. That's the key word, in love, because of their work. Now, I don't care if we just work one day a week. We work. Y'all missed that joke, didn't you? Right? Pastor works what? One day a week. That's a, lot, a lot of people really have that perception, right? All you do, you just have to show up on Sunday. You play golf all the other days of the week and go do what you want to do, right? No. It is a labor of love. It is a calling that I could never, ever give up. Because once you're called, God's gifts and His calling are irrevocable. It's like once God grabs a hold of your life, you're His. This is your calling. But you know what, guys? There are pastors who are leaving the ministry by the droves right now. Stepping away. Can't do it no more. They're discouraged. They're depressed. They're defeated. Many of them are walking away. It's a tragedy here in the United States of America. But this goes both ways. Listen, God gave you pastors and elders and teachers to be a blessing to you, not a burden. Ephesians 4 says this, He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, listen, so that we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure and stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. You know what that is? Sanctification. We're all, God gave you leaders and pastors and teachers to equip you and encourage you and pray for you and lead you and serve you in such a way that you're what? Growing up. Becoming more mature in Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus is the head of the body. Who's the head of this church? Jesus Christ. No argument about it. Always has been, always will be. He's the model for us. So in the same way that you guys have been called to submit and respect the office of pastor, elder in the church, guess what? As elders and pastors in the church, we have submitted ourselves ultimately to who? To Jesus Christ. Who are we going to have to give an account to? To Jesus Christ. i got to stand before Jesus one day and give an account of my ministry and my life. Think about that for just a second. Because pastors, teachers, elders are held to a higher standard. Yes, we are. So it goes both ways. But how did Jesus exemplify leadership? He came to serve. He is the greatest example of a servant leader that the world has ever seen. Jesus said, I didn't come. He said, I didn't come to be served. But to what? But to serve. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And so as elders, pastors, teachers... Guys, we're not here to lord anything over you or to uh, bark orders like some tyrant or to just talk the talk. But no, Jesus has called us, qualified us to lead through serving you, through serving you. And that is my standard. And it is a good thing for your church. It is a demonstration of servant leadership that God has ordained leaders to be a reflection and an example and a blessing to you. And you're called to love and to respect us. Listen to what it says in 
Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's pretty big. I mean, me, myself, looking at myself and, and examining myself, I'm saying, okay, the Lord's telling our church to imitate my faith. Wow. That's pretty big. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now listen, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Think about the benefit you get about being part of a church family. You get elders and pastors and teachers who love you and care enough about you to keep watch over your souls, to pray for you, to counsel you, to support and encourage you. As those who will give an account... Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we're sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. So part of your sanctification is interesting. Is there, there's a dynamic of learning how to submit to what? Authority. Do you know that it's hard to grow in Jesus Christ if you're unwilling to submit to the authorities that God has ordained? That's authority in the family, that's authority in government, and it's also authority in, in the church. God set it up that way, and he put us in this place of submission so that we would grow in Jesus Christ. So how can you be a blessing to me? How can you be a blessing to your leader? How is this going to help you be sanctified and grow more like Jesus Christ? Let me give you a couple of things you can do. Number one, just be at peace with each other. I don't like no drama. Do you know that that's one of the greatest blessings that you can do as a, as a church member? Just to be drama-free. Don't we have enough drama in our life already? Why don't we have to have drama at the church? Hey, I will say, my three years here, we have had very limited amounts of drama, but it happens. Isn't that what Paul says right here? He says, just be at peace among yourselves. How, how, hard, is, how hard could that be? You'd be surprised. You see, because here's the reality. When we're not at peace, when we're a person who's a troublemaker or we stir the pot or we cause division or dissension or we gossip or whatever. You know what that's a, that's a characteristic of? It's not the characteristic of a mature believer. It's the characteristic of what? An immature believer, if you're a believer at all. Because the churches are not immune to having unregenerate people who are members of churches and they can sometimes cause tremendous amounts of problems by creating division and hostility among the brothers and among the church family. And so we want to be mature believers, and if we're mature believers, we're peacekeepers. And we desire peace, and we're not carnal and immature and self-centered and self-seeking and all those kind of things. So just, just be at peace with each other. Number two, submit to your leaders. And, and that, does that mean that we're always going to do every single thing and make every decision that's right? Does that mean we're going to be perfect in everything that we do? No, it doesn't. but it, it, there's a level of trust that's built between you and your leaders. And that trust has to be earned, I agree, but I believe that our elders and pastors here at this church have earned the right to ask you to trust us even when it doesn't necessarily make sense to you or even when you don't quite understand everything is that there comes a point sometimes when we're making big decisions where you just have to say, you know what, I don't necessarily agree. You don't have to agree with me everything, about everything. That's not what I'm asking you for. But when it comes down to those situations and circumstances where maybe you don't understand everything or maybe it doesn't completely make sense, you still what? You still trust 
your leaders and respect the fact that God has put us in a position of authority over you. And guess what that does? It sanctifies you. Because you know who submitted himself? Jesus. Jesus humbled himself and took on the form of a servant, taking on the form of a man and became a servant in the likeness of men. And he was obedient even unto what? Death on a cross. So when you're submitting to leadership, you are being like who? Like Jesus. And so there is something there about submitting to, to your leaders. But do you know what the greatest thing you can do to be a blessing to your church, your elders, your pastors, your teachers? Two things. Pray for us and hold us accountable to God's word. Now, some of you may think, you know, I don't want to call Brother Marcus or send him an email and have a question about something he said at church the other day. Or, or you know, that he said something that kind of I'm a little confused about. Do you know how much of a blessing it is when you come to me and you ask me a question about God's word? That doesn't intimidate or threaten me. I'm not perfect. I'm not always going to have every single thing right. And I may misspeak up here. And it's your role and responsibility to recognize if anything is misspoken from this pulpit that does not line up and is according to the word of God, whose responsibility is it to call that to account? It's your responsibility. And that is one of the greatest blessings because you don't take my word for it. You take who? God's word for it. So I'm held accountable to God's word and you're holding me accountable to God's word. And guess what? I'm going to hold you accountable to God's word. Because that's the standard that we all have. And for you to pray for us. Pray without ceasing. So guys, those are the ways that we are able to submit to our leaders. And the last step today, again, we're not getting through this whole passage, but I want to finish right here. I'm going to really encourage you this morning to find your role and do your part. Because it is in your service in the local church, among your Christian community, in your church family, that is where you're going to grow in Christ the most. And if you're here, and right now, if the extent of your participation at Christ Church is coming on a Sunday morning to worship and listen to the Word of God, that's good. That's a good starting place. But that should not be where you stop. Because there are so many needs and there's so many areas where you can be so fulfilled in using your gifts and giving of your time and giving of your resources and of your talents to build up the body of Christ. I'm going to tell you something right now, guys. We're hurting again. Our, our children's ministry, constantly a need there. I mean, I just can't say it enough. I don't know how many times we have to stand up here and say, listen, we need help. We need people to step up. We need people to rise up. Our AV ministry in the back. We need help, people that are willing to come back here and help us on a Sunday morning. We need help on our help group uh, every third Saturday. We've started to see those numbers dwindle. And so all I'm asking you to do is that if, if you haven't... And listen, here's the other thing. You need to be connected to some type of a small group. A Sunday school class, a prayer group, whatever it may be, guys. These are parts of your role and responsibility for you to be able to grow and be sanctified in the Lord Jesus Christ. Alright, so let me give you these last few practical steps that I think will be very encouraging to you. Paul says this, admonish the idol. The word admonish, to, an admonition, 
is to warn somebody because you what? Because you love them. We're to admonish the idol. Now, I want to ask you a question. If you had a wayward child, a friend, a sibling, a spouse, a grandchild, and if you knew that they were headed down a path of destruction and a path of danger, would you warn them? Why? Because you love them. If you really love somebody and you see that they're headed into a path or in a direction of danger or self-destruction, if you really love them, you're not going to allow them to continue to head down that road. That's part of our responsibility and our privilege of being part of a church family. Now, do you know what that means? It means sometimes we're the ones who have to warn others when we see something in their life that maybe they don't see. So we have to admonish them. Guess what? It also goes the other way. Sometimes we're the ones who need to be admonished. Sometimes we're the ones who need to be warned. Hey, brother, I'm worried about you. I'm concerned. I see some things in your life that they're, they're concerning to me. Can, can you tell me about it? Can we talk about it? Can we pray about it? Now, he says specifically to admonish the idol. What does that mean? We're talking about the lazy, entitled, and complacent people. Doesn't describe a church at all, does it? You see, we have built a culture, especially in North America, of consumer Christians. The consumer's always right that the church is here to serve me, and I'm not here to serve in the church, and that is a very dangerous place to be. And I don't want us to stay there, and I don't want us to be there, and I don't want that to be the testimony of Christ's church. And so what Paul is saying is, if you see people who are idle, that means they're not connected, they're not committed, they're not contributing to the church, he says, we are called to what? Admonish them. Now, we can do that in many different ways. We can have conversations with people. But you know what? Some people just need to have a fire lit. Sometimes we got a light of fire. And I know that can be a very sensitive situation. But you know what, guys? It's our responsibility that when we see people who are not contributing but they're consuming, it is our responsibility to warn them and encourage them to get right. We're called to encourage the faint-hearted. I'll tell you what, if we ever needed a time to encourage people who are faint-hearted, it's it's what? We got people ready to give up, guys. People in this room right here don't know if they can make it anymore. Paul says we're to encourage the faint-hearted. Jesus says pray that you don't give up. Paul also says don't grow weary of doing good. You know, I have to remind my staff about that all the time. You know, when we come together on Monday mornings and we have staff meeting and we pray and we come together and try to encourage each other every single Monday morning, there's many Monday mornings when my staff comes in there and they're discouraged and they're defeated and they're faint-hearted and they're wondering, am I even making a difference? You know what my job is to do? Encourage them. Yes, you're making a difference. Yes, your labor's not in vain. Don't grow weary of doing good. That's our role. Help the weak. Now, this goes two ways. Some of us, what we're talking about is people who are weak in their faith. You know that we have new believers in this church who are not really strong and grounded in their faith. 
You know, that we have people who are weak in their faith and they need help and encouragement. They need to be guided and discipled and supported and all of these things. See, that's what it means to help the weak. It's not just talking about people who are physically weak. It's talking about people who may be weak in their what? In their faith. And this is part of our sanctification process. But it also does mean about people who may be weak physically or financially or whatever it may be. We help those people who are in need. The least of these are brothers. And then lastly, two more, we exercise patience with everybody. Guys, this is so important. Because here's the reality. When it comes to sanctification, some of us are on a very faster track than others. And if we're not careful, we'll start to look down on other people because they're not where we are. Are. Don't do that. Everybody's growing at a different rate. And it's hard to really know what somebody's going through until you walk a mile in their what? In their shoes. Be patient. Because Lord knows we got our own problems and we're expecting people to be patient with us. So we need to be patient with others. And then lastly, it says, overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good, forgiving each other, keeping a short account of sins, trying to, trying to keep bitterness and resentment from building up in our hearts so that we become hard-hearted. All those things are so very, very important. Guys, listen, we're never going to win the fight against evil by trying to conquer with evil. We're never going to conquer hate with hate. We can only overcome evil with good, and we can only overcome hate with love all day long, all day long. So I'm going to ask our praise team to go ahead and make their way up, guys. we got one more song to sing this morning. But as we go, I, I just want to encourage you guys because, listen, I don't know how long all this stuff's going to last. I don't know if 2021 is going to be any better than 2020. Well, I know we all hope that it's going to be, guys. It may be worse. It may be tremendously better. I'm praying for better. I don't know exactly when the Lord Jesus is coming. Y'all know that I love the prophetic and I love talking about, you know, the second coming of Jesus Christ and the signs that are leading up to it. Y'all know how much I love talking about that kind of stuff. I don't know, but this is what I do know. Is that until that day comes, no matter what happens and all the things that are constantly changing around us, I know that if we're just simply taking God's word and putting it into practice and we're being sanctified in the Holy Spirit and that we're continuing to go out and make disciples and we're continuing to love each other and stay connected and, com and committed to our church family, guys, we can't go wrong. We can't go wrong. We're doing what God has called us and commanded us to do. And guess what? That takes a tremendous amount of freedom. It takes a tremendous burden off my back. Because I don't have to worry. I just need to continue to live and walk with Jesus Christ and grow in Him. And that's what I'm challenging and encouraging every single one of you in here to do. So find your role. Do your part. Trust Jesus with every changing circumstances. And listen, while you're at it, if you're not contributing to the work of this ministry, please consider how you might do that. And if you don't know how, come see me. Come see me. Amen? All right, we're going to sing one more song. I'm going to pray for you. I'll be here as always, and you just respond to God however you need to respond this morning. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for giving us practical steps, Lord, that we can continue to stay on the path of righteousness for your name's sake, and that all of us should be growing and changing because, God, you saved us to get rid of our old nature, to give us a new nature so that we would become like you. That's what it means to be a Christian. 
is to be like Christ. So, Lord Jesus, until you come or we go to be with you, we want to continue to grow and become more and more like you so that we would be a light in a dark world, that we would overcome the hate with love, and that we overcome evil with good to the glory of your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people Mm -hmm. said.